0: All right, Fall Fest is coming up, and years ago, um, I served in Fall Fest on the, in the parking ministry, and I'll just tell you, it's hard on Fall Fest to be parking ministry, and I'm not saying that because uh, we still need people to sign up, so I don't want to scare you away by saying that, <laughs> but it, it, it's unique. It's unique from any other weekend that you have doing parking ministry because you have so many guests so many people coming here that don't really know the routine. They don't really know the parking lots. They don't know where to go, when to cross the street, all of those things. And so uh, it is. it can be challenging doing it that particular night. And I remember years ago when I was doing this, I'm trying to get people across the street and parking in parking lots, and so you're standing there. You got your orange vest on, and you got your little flashlight and everything. I think that gives you power—the flashlight. So you're shining a flashlight, and you're trying to tell people, like, "Hey, stop! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! I'll I'll have you cross in just a minute." As soon as you turn, they start crossing, and you're like, "Wait, what? Yeah, go ahead. I guess go ahead." Then you get cars coming down this way, and you're like, "Hey, I want you to turn in that lot. Okay, you're gonna go straight. That, yeah, do that too. It's just hard, right? Because people—it's just..." a lot of people around, and you're trying to have some sort of uh, control and some sort of structure to what you're doing in the parking ministry. And it was hard. Like, I couldn't do anything but laugh at the end of the night because I'm like, I think three people listened to me. Uh, Everybody else just did what they wanted to, but, hey, I served, and um, I think that was a good thing. Well, uh, last week I had this same thought come up because I was driving down Moulton on my way home from work, and there was a car wreck. And it was right on Moulton and La Paz, that intersection right there. was a bad car wreck. And there was this little gal, like about yay tall, in the middle of the street, and she's directing traffic, right? All eyes are on her, and she's telling cars, go that way. Or, hey, you turn around and go that way. And, I mean, she had full attention. These cars are listening to what she's saying. And I'm like, I thought about my time at Fall Fest. I'm like, what? Is she more commanding with her, you know, signals and everything? Is she just more confident with it? or? What's the deal? Because she's got everybody's attention, and they are doing what she's telling them to do. But then I realized she had on a uniform and a badge. She was a police officer. And so this little gal about yay tall, she had some authority and some power that was backing her up that called everybody to listen to what she had to say. Right? I mean, there's men in big dually trucks. They're driving up there like, ma'am, can I, can I turn? Is that OK? Can I turn around here? Okay, thank you. Being so nice to her. Not because she had size or stature or she looked like she was powerful, but it was because of the authority that everybody knew she had backing her. She had power backing her. Christians, I want you to understand you have more power and more authority backing you in your life than anyone walking the face of this earth. Anyone walking the face of this earth, that's the power and authority that every individual Christian has. The issue with most of us as Christians, we don't understand that, or we don't realize we have that power. And it's not power on our own doing. This is power that's coming from God. I want us to be clear about that. But when we don't understand that power and authority that we have within our life that's backed up by God, then it causes us to live these sad, depressive, anxious, and fearful lives of what's to come for the future. right, Paul in our passage gives us a solution, a solution for knowing exactly how to recall that power and authority that each one of us have, if you're a believer in Christ, that you have backing you. He tells you exactly how you can recall that. He tells you exactly what to focus on, and that was his whole intent in this passage is he's praying to the Ephesians, and he's talking to the Ephesians. He wants to give them encouragement of the the power that they have behind them. And when you know you have that power backing you, it will change the way you live your life. It will change the way you live your life. It will change the effectiveness that you have for God's kingdom. So let's learn what that is, and so you and I can make sure that we have that at every moment in our life. And even if we are, At a point where we we fail to remember, we know exactly how to recall that. And so go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 through 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 through 23. And as I mentioned, and Greg started last week and we'll finish up this week, this is a prayer that Paul is giving. He's praying for those in Ephesus. And this prayer that he gives is a long-winded prayer once again. You remember when we talked about verses 3 through 14? That's all one, one sentence, 202 words. He didn't stop for a period or anything. He just kept going and kept going and kept going, and he couldn't get enough of talking about the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Well, then he backs that up with 170-word in the Greek sentence. And so this dude is not stopping because he just can't stop talking about Jesus. He can't stop talking about God's power. And he wants to relay that to those in Ephesus and around that area during this time. And he's talking specifically. He's praying to start. But then he goes a little different direction in his prayer in verse 20. But I'm going to start in verse 19 because I want to get a running start. And verse 19 tells us what he's expanding on. And it says this in 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So you see this passage, this one long sentence that we have here that Paul is talking, he's praying for them, right? He started off. Or in the first part of this, in 15 through 19, he's praying for them. And then he hits that that middle part in verse 19. He says, the measurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And then he expands on what that power is. He's talking about the power that is happening right now. He's still praying, but he's talking about the power. And he wants to encourage the Ephesians during this time. He wants to encourage them that, look, what you're believing in, the God that you have, because right now you think about the religion, the Christianity is a minority at this point in time, right? We, we, we're talking about Artemis of the Ephesians. We're talking about the, the, the Greek goddesses, Zeus. We're talking about the Egyptian goddess, Ra, all of these people, all of this all of this religion that's happening in this area. Paul's trying to tell them, look, look, the, one, the religion that you got, Jesus that you have, the God that we worship is far greater than all of them, all of them. All of them. He's got all the power. And he focuses in on that to give them encouragement for them to understand that, yeah, what you're believing in is right on track. And here's why I can tell you, because of the resurrection, the resurrection power. He says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He raised Christ from the dead. I want to just talk about that first part. Raising Christ from the dead, one of my go-to conversation starters is when I'm evangelizing the folks is, hey, what do you think happens after this life? What do you think happens after this life? Because when I ask somebody that question, everybody has an opinion. Everybody's thought about what happens after this life because guess what? What's going to happen to all of us? We're going to die. We're going to die, right? We're going to die. And so everyone is going to think about what's going to happen at the end of this life. And everyone has an opinion, You might have a religious opinion. You might have your own opinion based on feel, but everybody has an opinion. And so if that's how we're going to get the conversation started, I know that at least you're going to say something back if I ask what's going to happen at the end of this life. You know what no one has ever said to me? I got a solution for death. Nobody says that. Nobody in their right mind is going to tell me they have a solution for death. Death is a problem that this world cannot solve. This world can't solve it. Death is a problem. It makes people fearful. It makes people react out of, out of fear and out of anxiety and all of those things. It, it makes people move when you bring up death because there's no solution to death. But guess who has a solution to death? God does. God has a solution to death. And here's the most the, one of the biggest problems that Christians have is oftentimes we become callous to this big major solution to death that God has given us in the resurrection of D- Jesus Christ. This is the single greatest miracle here on earth. The single greatest miracle here on earth that God raised someone from the dead. He raised the man that was dead back to life. And the man went out and continued to preach the good news of God. The man went out and he continued to eat. The man went out and he continued to talk and disciple people. He raised someone from the dead. One of one. But oftentimes as Christians, we grow callous to that. We say, oh, God raised Jesus from the dead, right? We celebrate Easter and we worried about more about brunch time and, 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 and what suit or what fancy getup I'm going to wear to church and, and all of this stuff. We worry about that more than being in awe of this greatest miracle that we have as Christians, that God raised a man from the dead. He raised a man from the dead, but we treat it like it's an everyday thing. I mean, some of you don't even get excited when you say it, right? You just just say it. Yeah, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's cool, yeah. He he just ascended. He flew up to the sky, and now he's sitting at the right hand of God. Yeah. (laughs) Some of you don't even say it because it's so weird, right? This is the only man that has ever been raised from the dead, and you don't even say it with confidence. And God is saying, I've given you this miracle that no one else can talk about so that you can know that I am the one and only true God. I am the creator of all things. There's nothing that I can't do, but yet we treat it like it's an everyday thing. God raised Jesus from the dead, and Jesus is alive. He's alive. Jesus is alive right now. He's just not here. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, but Jesus is alive. I mean, that should blow your mind when you think about that. It should blow your mind. You should be in awe of that. The resurrection by itself, you should be in awe of that. That is the greatest miracle that has ever happened on the face of this earth. And it happened because God made it happen to separate himself from everyone else. And that's point number one for us this evening. You and I need to be in awe, be in awe of God's resurrection power. Be in awe of God's resurrection power. God said to us, here, let me, let me give you something, a miracle that is going to happen that no one else can do. This was a drop the mic miracle, like uh, try, to, try to top that, right? It's unrivaled, incomparable, right? Nobody else can do this. It's unmatched. Every other religion that's out there, guess where their leader is? Dead. Dead, right? Muhammad, Dead. Buddha, dead. Joseph Smith, dead. Mary Baker Eddy, dead. All of them, dead, right? Because God resurrected Jesus, you and I can sit here and say what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Not, anything, not because of anything you and I did, but because God did that. He resurrected a man from the grave. He brought him back to life so that you and I can know that we have a God that's far superior than any other God, any other deity, any other religion, any other feeling, anything else in this world. We got a God that you can't match that. And he wants to give the Ephesians confidence and encouragement about who they worship. Peter explained it this way. The sermon at Pentecost, Acts Acts 2, 23 and 24, jot that down. Acts 2, 23 and 24, this is what he said. This Jesus, right? Peter, boldly speaking to the Jews right now. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Right? They, They thought they did something. They thought, ah, we finally got Jesus. This was planned all along. Thank you for playing along. Right? This was planned all along, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But here's the great part. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It wasn't possible. When Jesus died, it was not possible to keep him down. Why? Because God is too powerful. God was too powerful to let death hold Jesus down. That same God. That same God is the one that's backing you. That same God is the one that's leading and guiding your life. All of that power is behind you. But here's the, Paul, here's the point that Paul is making to the Ephesians. He's, he's trying to give them encouragement, but the encouragement that he's making to them that you and I need to get as well is that very power that very power of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that Spirit lives in you and I today. He lives in us today. Romans 6, 3 through 5. Romans 6, 3 through 5. Matter of fact, turn there real quick. Let's read that together and get our eyes on that. Romans 6, 3 through 5. Paul continues on talking about this this baptism, that we were baptized in Christ says this in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his men every time you see a baptism you should think about this right that that's what the baptism is right the baptism is a public proclamation of your allegiance and your alliance to Jesus Christ you have a believer that is up there a professing christian that is up there that is standing in a tub of water And that representation of him standing in a tub of water and then being dipped down below the water and being raised up with newness of life, that is what a baptism is. That is what the baptism expresses and shows to us, right? The old being dipped down, being being dead with Christ and being raised to new life. That just sends chills up your spine every time you see a baptism. It shouldn't be one of those of, oh, here goes another testimony. Right? Oh, another high school or a revival. Right? No, 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 no. It doesn't matter whether a high school, whether you're, you're 90 years old getting baptized. That glorifies Christ. It represents our old self, us dying with Christ and being raised up, which one day you and I, if you are in Christ, you're going to be raised up with him too. You're going to be resurrected from the grave. We should be in awe of that. We should be in awe of the resurrection. Every time you hear it, every time you think about the resurrection, it should blow your mind because that same spirit that powerfully raised Jesus from the dead is going to one day raise you and I. And that's good news. Death can't hold us down. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? I mean, when is the last time you thought deeply about the resurrection, and you were in awe of the resurrection. right? You just realized that a man was dead, and then God in his almighty power brought him back to life. It just, just, just grasp that for a second, man. There's 150,000 people that die a day. Ain't none of them coming back to life right now. And this has been the same for all time, except for one man, Jesus Christ. And that one man is behind you and I. And that one God that raised him from the dead is behind you and I. And that one spirit that had the power to raise him back to life and dwells within you and I as believers. You have that power, men. You have that power. If there's anybody that would want you to grow callous to thinking about that and not even thinking about it, it would be Satan. Satan would want you to say, yeah, 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 whatever. You know, he raised somebody from the dead, right? You almost read it as if it's, you know, a fairy tale or something like that. We don't really grasp it and understand. No, that's our God that did that. Satan would want you to think like that. But I would say the same thing that I told you back in the the last passage when we were in 3 through fourteen. As I told you, you need to think daily about your salvation. You should think daily about the resurrection and the implications of the resurrection and what that means for our life. Right? God gave us the ultimate drop-the-mic miracle right there. And we as Christians, out of all people, should be in awe of that, out of all people, because it's the power of God, the power of God, the same God that saved you The same God that is keeping you every single day. Because guess what? Here's the thing. If God didn't have his hands on you, if his power wasn't working through you, Christian, you wouldn't last. You wouldn't last a day. But it's by the power of God that we can persevere to the end. But God didn't just stop there with the resurrection. Although that was big enough, right? He could have stopped there and said, that's it. That that was plenty. He didn't stop there. He continued to show his power through Jesus. And Paul gets into that and tells us what happened there. Back in our passage. In uh, Ephesians 1, verse 20. We'll start there. Verse 20, the second part of verse 20. Here's what else God did. He worked. Through Christ, when he raised him from the dead, and then he seated him at the right at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. A theological term for that is the ascension. Right, the ascension. You have the resurrection. God raised Jesus from the dead, and then you have the ascension in Acts. Right, God, Jesus was there, and He ascended up to the heavens, and He is seated with the right, at the right hand of God. Paul appeals to Psalm 110:1, 1, where David said, "This the Lord says to my Lord." Right, Yahweh says to Adonai, "Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool." Right, and so we go all the way back to the Old Testament, the Psalms. This was foreshadowed. This was prophesied that this was going to come at this point, in t- at some point in time in the future. David's talking about this very thing, and Paul quotes that. And then he talks about the right hand. Right, the right hand is a place of power, the place of victory. Right, he's sharing in honor, he's sharing in glory with God the Father. He's sitting at his right hand, equal with God the Father, and he wanted the. Ephesians to know, look, you don't have to be concerned with anything because every name, whether it be the, the angelic realm or whether it be the, the fleshly realm, every name is under Jesus. They didn't need to be concerned about Artemis. They didn't need to be concerned about Zeus. They didn't need to be concerned about Ra. They didn't need to be concerned about Caesar. Any of them, Paul wanted them to be confident and know that Jesus Christ was King of King, Lord of Lord, and He reigns over all of them, over all of them. I was looking at uh, an article, and um, do you guys know who, what quarterback of all time has the most game-winning drives? It's not Dak Prescott. If you were thinking that, <laughs> I know it's it's top of mind for some of you. It's Tom Brady, of course, right? Tom Brady. 58, 58 game-winning drives in his career. That's amazing. 58 times he got the ball with whatever, a few minutes left on the clock, and he drove them down there and they won the game. I mean, just think about the confidence if you're on Tom Brady's team. I don't care if you're a scrub of all scrubs. If you go out there and you got the GOAT as your quarterback, you're like, I'm good, I just need not to mess up. If I don't mess up, then he's going to win the game. You can have that confidence. And many of you that have watched football and Tom Brady's played against your team, you're like, oh, Lord, you got too much time on the clock. They're going to give the ball to Tom terrific, and he goes down there and scores. I've been through it several times. Um, <laughs> but you just know that because he's the king of game-winning drives, right? He's, he's considered the greatest of all time as a football player. But here we are, Christians. You have Jesus, who is the king of... Everything, not game-winning drives, everything. You want to call him the GOAT, the greatest of all time? He's the greatest of all time for everything. How much confidence do you and I have in everything that we do in life? Because we have Jesus that is our King of kings, Lord of lords, our Savior, the one that we worship. He's over everyone. Everyone is beneath him. How does that reflect your life? Right? How does your life show that? Right? Can somebody look at your life and say, wow, that person right there truly believes that Jesus is King of Kings, Lord of Lords? Or is your life categorized with fear and concern that Jesus may not have it under control? And so you get anxious and you get stressed and you worry about your job and you worry about all these things that might happen in the future. You worry about your bank account. You worry about all these things because you think that, Jesus is not in control. There's nothing, nothing in this world that can stop where you're headed. There's nothing in this world that can stop the team that you're on. And you and I should live confidently, and we should have the utmost confidence through Jesus because he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Everything on this earth, material, immaterial, everything is under his reign, and we should have confidence, and that's point number two this evening. You and I need to have confidence through Jesus's kingship. He is the King of all things. We should have confidence in that, not an arrogant confidence. Because look, it's nothing you and I did. We didn't deserve this. We didn't. We did We didn't make. We didn't do something that was pleasing to God. Where He's like, "Hey, I got to have you on my team." It really gonna. Bo-. We're nothing. We're nothing but we're on the victorious team. And so we should have a confidence about how we live our life knowing that our Lord and Savior is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It could be people at your job, right? Your boss at work. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, right? It could be governor of California Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. It could be the President of the United States. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, right? It could be Hamas, the terrorist. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Sometimes it's even immaterial things, right? Those are the fleshly things that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. But sometimes we can struggle with sickness or pain that you're suffering right now. And you think that, wow, this is out of control. Like, I don't know what to do. All of that immaterial things are under the control of Jesus. It could be the spiritual warfare that you have going on right now in your life, maybe in your home right now with your wife or with your kids, spiritual warfare that you have going on. All of that is under the reign of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6, when we get there, it talks about that, right? We don't wage war against flesh and blood. It's not flesh and blood, right? the schemes of the devil that are there, but Jesus is over all of that. But I do understand that there will be days where your flesh, in your flesh, you may lack that confidence. You may have those times where you feel like it's out of control. I can't handle it, and I feel like nothing is going good right now. Nothing is happening in my life that, 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 that inspires me or, or gets me fired up to go glorify Christ. That happens, right? Here's where you need to go to. Here's where you need to remember. Philippians 2. Let's go there. Philippians 2 and read that passage together. Because I mentioned that every knee will bow, but I want to read the rest of that passage so you have a good understanding of when you get to those moments where you feel like life's got the best of you, that you can recall this and remember, hey, all of this that's happening in my life is under Jesus. It's beneath his footstool. All of that. And I can have confidence through Jesus' kingship. Paul says this, verse 8. And being found in human form, of course, talking about Jesus right now, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, just like he says in our passage, that name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then he says, with that being the case, with that being the case, verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, no complaining about it, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Right? He's, He's telling them. I get what you're going through. It's not an easy light to live in now. For you and I, as a Christian, it's not an easy light to live in now. It's a crooked and twisted generation. We're living in that too, right? But then this is what he said we should think about. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. The darker the world is the more you should shine, Christian. Holding fast to the word of life, the truth. So that in the day of Christ... That's where it all comes. When Christ returns, in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You and I should have that confidence that Jesus understands everything that you're going through. Right? You're unemployed right now. You're struggling to find a job. Jesus understands what you're going through. Glorify him. Right? You're having marital issues. Jesus understands what you're going through. Glorify him. He wants us to remember, Paul does in this passage, that every second of our life that we seek to glorify him, none of it goes in vain. None of it goes in vain. It's not packaged together to say, oh, when you were in your 40s, you glorified God pretty well. No, every second, none of it is going in vain. None of that labor is in vain. Paul when he's talking to the Ephesians back in our passages is trying to bring them this confidence, right? Because I imagine they're struggling. I imagine it's hard. When Paul was there, he got ran out of town, right? They, they, they wanted to beat him up and, and all of those stuff. They, they're, they're taking his boys into the, uh, the theater and, they're, you know, I don't know what happened to them there, but it, was, it wasn't taking them in there to show them a good time, right? They had a hard time. and pro- The Ephesians are probably having just a hard time, but he wants to give them that confidence, that the king that they serve is unmatched. Every smart person, right? Every atheist, every scientist, every, every ruler, every false teacher, all of them will bow the knee to Jesus one day. And if it's at a day where it's too late, it'll be involuntary, right? They will be forced to bow the knee to Jesus, but they will bow the knee to Jesus and realize that he is king. The king that you and I can realize today head over all on this earth and beyond. We see God's power through his resurrection. We see Christ's kingship through him being raised up, right, and being seated above everyone. But then Paul ends this long sentence that we have back in our passage by telling the Ephesians what this means for them, right? What does this mean for you? Because God has shown you resurrection power because he has seated Christ at his right hand. What does this mean for you? He tells us this back in our passage, verse 22, the middle of it. He says, and gave him, gave him Christ as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The very one that rules everything, Christ, the ruler of all things, God graciously gave him a, as a gift to the church, to be the head of the church, right? And then there's a little confusing uh, phrase at the end, the fullness of him who fills all in all, right? The, 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 the church is the continuous divine expression of Christ. Christ was the continuous divine expression of the Father, right? The Father, Christ. Represented the Father. The church represents Christ. Christ doesn't need us to be filled, right? But we here on earth represent Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ represented the Father when he was here on earth. Right? So if we're his body, the body of Christ, believers, if we are his body and he's been given to us as Lord and head, then our lives need to be in full submission to him. Full submission to him. And that's point number three for us is submit to Jesus' headship of the church, submit to Jesus' headship of the church. We oftentimes think, oh, the pastor is the head of that church, right? No, it's, that's not the case, right? The pastors are called to be shepherds, shepherds that are called by the chief shepherd. And so pastors, of course, are placed in these local churches to make sure that it's organized. We're focused on Jesus. We're focused on glorifying Christ in all that we do. We want to continue to build his church. But make no mistake about it, the head of every single church is Jesus. Jesus. It's Jesus, and we need to remember that because there's been great church leaders all throughout history, all throughout history. They come and go. Right? They have good years of, of ministry, and, and they, they have fruitful years of ministry, and lives get saved, and they make a tremendous impact for the gospel, but then they die. One day to be raised to glory, but they die. Guess who keeps going? Jesus. Jesus is the one that transcends time. He is the one that is the head of the church, and you and I need to submit to his headship is a good friend of mine. His son is currently going through uh, Navy SEALs training, the BUDS training, if most of you and many of you know about that. It's the most intense military training that there is, arguably, right? And it's right down in San Diego, but it is intense. They start off with hundreds of guys. I mean, fit, like in-shape guys, and they dwindle it all the way down to sometimes even single digits by the end of it. It is the most grueling mental and physical taxing Um, training that they have and that's part of it right they put you through all of this stress and all of this pressure and all of this hard work because they want to see who has the mental fortitude they want to see who's going to make it they want to see when it gets tough when you feel like I can't take another step who's going to push through that and only a few survive but they have one week in particular it's called hell week hell week is the worst week of all of them and out of the whole week they sleep a maximum of four hours, maximum four hours, in a whole week. You're like, oh, I would just load up on coffee. Nope, no caffeine. No caffeine. They run over 200 miles during this four-week stretch, right? No sleep, run over 200 miles, 20 hours a day of rigorous training to see who's going to tap out. I, I, I can't. They want to see who's going to tap out. One guy put it this way. He said it's the ultimate Mental and physical training, but definitely the, the mental part of it. Because here's the thing, when you're going through a training like that, your mind is going to start playing tricks on you, and your, your mind has to overcome your body, right? Mind over matter. Your mind has to tell your body, let, let, we got to keep going. Let's go. We can do this. We can do this. Because otherwise, once your mind shuts off and it's like we can't, the body will follow and it will fail. And so that mind, the head has to give the body direction to keep pressing on, especially during grueling trainings like this. We need to understand this with our passage in the same way, right? The head tells the body what to do. Christ, the head of the church, directs the body. It directs the body of the Christ of Christ how to glorify him, how to operate, how to be productive, how to be effective for God's glory. The head tells the body what to do. They work together in this. It's not like the head is saying, like, hey, hey, let's go right. And the body's like, no, I'm going left. I'm not doing that. Right? No, they work together. They complement one another. The church body, what we need to understand, the church body is most effective when we do exactly what the head, Christ, is telling us to do. When we obey his commands and when we follow what he's telling us to do, we have fruitful and effective ministry. Jesus is the head. You and I need to obey what he's telling us to do. And he tells us what's to do right in his word. It's not about feeling how, what you think uh, you should do to, to get the most out of, out of Christianity. It's not about you saying, hey, I think God wants me to do this. You don't need to invent something. It's all right here in God's word. He tells us what we need to do to give him most glory. And here are the three things that we can just focus in on. I mean, there's a lot more, but these these three things, we can focus in on this and hit majority of what Christ is telling us to do. The first thing is the greatest commandment that he tells us Matthew 22, 37 through 40, love God and love others, right? If we just think about that, let's just, in everything that I do, let me just love God and love others. Let me grow in my knowledge of God because I love him. I continue to want to know more about him, more and more and more about him. And then let me obey him. Not just know him for head knowledge, but let me do what he says. If I love God, I'm going to do that. If I love others, I want to speak the truth to others. I want to tell people about the good news of the gospel. I want to tell them how they can be raised to new life after this life is over. I want to tell people about that. I want to be kind, forgiving, and generous because Jesus was that. Love God and love others. The second thing we can do is make disciples. Make disciples. The great commission that he gave us, Matthew 28, 19, make disciples. Make disciples. We talked about that if you were with us this summer, right? Learning and teaching, learning and teaching, learning and teaching. That should be our whole entire life. That should be our whole entire life. We're learning more about God and then we're teaching that to other people so that they can learn more about God and they can teach it and it continues to replicate itself as Christ grows his church. The last thing we need to do, and this is more of a a reminder for us to have, is to know this world is not your home. Know this world is not your home. Right? If we want to submit to Jesus' headship of the church, Jesus knew that he wasn't going to be here that long. You and I need to remember it's not about conforming to this world. It's not about us trying to fit in. Guys, we we got to stop with trying to fit in so much or or trying to have the, the least resistant Christian life. Some of us are aiming for that. It's like, I want to be a Christian. I, I, I want to obey God, but I want to do it where, where I don't have too many attacks. I want to do it where I can keep my job. I want to do it where my neighbors like me. I want to do it where, you know, everybody wants to talk to me because I'm not sharing, you know, that you know, the, 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 the life that they live ends in destruction. I just want, I want people to like me. We got to get rid of that because we need to care more about pleasing Jesus and his headship than we do by living a comfortable life here. It's going to be hard here. It was hard for Jesus. It was hard for Paul. It was hard for Timothy. It's going to be hard for you. Jesus promised that it would be. But the other promise that's even better is this world is not our home. And we have a hope for eternity. That is perfect. Love God, love others. Make disciples. Remember that this world is not your home. We, we, we just get those three, those three. Again, we can go down in, in, in the details of it and get a lot more, but you just get those three, right? That encompasses a lot of how Jesus is telling us to build his church. There's times I will sit out and or see airplanes flying, and I don't know, I just have this weird thought of how in the world is that big hunk of metal flying in the air like that? Right, And I've flown hundreds and hundreds of times, but it still amazes me. You can look up in the sky and see this mega bus up there just floating in the sky. It blows my mind. But then I'm easily, I'm easily reminded why it does what it does when I get on a plane. When I get on a plane and I'm sitting there and we're on a runway and we're getting ready to take off, and all 84,000 pounds of thrust kicks in, right, all 48,000 pounds horsepowers kick in and those jet engines get moving and my head goes back like this as soon as we take off, I'm easily reminded that, oh, there's some power in these, 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 these jet engines back here. There's some power that's getting this thing up in the air. There's some power that's sustaining our flight all the way until we get to our destination. I'm reminded of that. But oftentimes if I'm not flying or if I'm out of the, out of the thought of that, I can easily forget Men, as Christians, we need to recall how much power is at work in our lives. Because when we don't recall it to mind enough, we can easily get to that point where we get discouraged, where we get stressed out, we get anxious. We live these sad lives because we forget what power is working behind us and in front of us and through us and all through us. But we need to remember what God has victoriously done. Right? He resurrected Jesus from the grave. The greatest miracle, he did that. And then he didn't just stop there. He ascended Jesus up and sat him at his right hand. And he's seated there in glory. Victorious glory. And he is reigning over everything. You and I need to recall that and remember that. And bring that top of mind. Be thankful for that. And allow that to fuel our pursuit of glorifying Christ no matter what's going on in your life. Because we know that Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords, and God's resurrection power is behind each and every one of us as believers. Let's remember that and be fueled to glorify Christ better. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us. That greatest miracle that we are able to know and we are able to trust in that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Nobody else can say that. Nobody else can hang on to that. No other religion can look at that and say, we got something to match that. And you've given us that to know that you are the true God. You are the God, the Father, the creator of all things, that has limitless power. And Lord, we are so grateful that that power is behind us, that backs us as a Christian, and that we can trust in that power. We can trust in Jesus, knowing that he reigns above every name. Lord, I just pray that we would live our lives that way, that people would look at our lives as men, men of this church, and say that I know that they trust Jesus. I know that they have confidence in Jesus because of the way that they live their life to please him, not worrying about everything else because bad things are going to happen. We're going to have ups and downs in this life. But the one constant is Jesus Christ in the gospel, in the hope that we have of eternal life. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for giving us that, that encouragement that we can read your word and remember the power that you have that's far above everything else. Help us to live our lives with much more zeal and much more passion and much more focus on glorifying Christ every day of our life moving forward. In Jesus' name, amen.